you guys, we are not hating on these people. <laughs> no, we are not. Don't take a sound bite. Yes. <laughs> don't you dare. Don't you dare. Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to um, an episode three of Please Bless This Podcast, where we talk about all things Mormon and pop culture. All yeah, things we do. Mormon. And, uh, and do some ge- deconstructing along the way. How about mm-hmm. that? What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Mormon No More, mm-hmm. a docu-series uh, that just came out, actually. It was produced by ABC News, um, came out on Hulu just like last week, June 2022. Uh, yeah, the timing. It's like they knew we were starting this podcast. I was just going to say, we're staying on top of it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm a little worried. I'm like, did something else come out this week? What's next? <laughs> What's next? So the through line for Mormon No More, this docu-series, is... It follows the relationship of Sally and Lena, Mm -hmm. who are engaged to be married. They're a lesbian couple living in Southern California, and they both um, were Mormon, were married to men, had kids with those men, met each other, fell in love, left Mormonism, got together. So uh, their story is the center of this docuseries, but then also it pulls in other stories of lgbtq mormons and there's a lot to talk about there sure is i am gonna apologize in advance i nothing have nothing but peace and love in my heart for sally and lena but i am going to talk a little bit of shit (laughs) just a little bit yeah but just a little bit and it's like honestly nothing against them no 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 let let me say up front I found this docuseries uh, interesting, informative, engaging. I had tears in my eyes. Oh, I wept. Throughout. Yeah. I want everyone to be happy, to have love. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nothing but the best for everyone who participated. All the stories told. Yes. But (laughs) we have some thoughts. Just, Just a couple, honestly. Um, I mostly overwhelmingly just felt a little bit like, I'm not sure why exactly we're watching like a multi-part series about these people, mm-hmm. <laughs> like specifically this specific them. couple. Yeah. Like why it was centered around them. Uh, and like, I get it that there's a wedding at the end and like, great spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. There's a wedding at the end, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's like a clear narrative arc to it. And it's very nice. And we're very happy for them. And they're, you know, like beautiful people with mm-hmm. adorable children. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make great TV. Yes. But I, I was like you, I was kind of like, oh, we're talking about them again. I thought we were off them and on to this next story, but we're back. Mm-hmm. And I just, it was an interesting <laughs> choice. And, and, you know, like you're making a docuseries, you got to choose what to focus on. This is who they chose to focus on. Yeah. Fine. It just, I, it's, I don't even know what to say. It didn't like kind of catch you a little bit where you'd be like, oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. Okay. okay back we're back. We're back. Okay. Sure. They're fighting about how expensive a wedding is in Southern California. Sure. I, uh, you bet. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure it is. I just don't know that that was an essential plot point for me to engage with. 
I think what's happening in those moments is they're trying to show us like this couple, look at them and they have such a fascinating story, but also they're real people mm-hmm. and they're not just like everything's rosy and perfect. They still have conflicts. They still have yeah. disagreements. They're still grappling with who they are and what they value. Yes, sure. Good. Good. <laughs> yes. Fair feel like okay we're already in too deep we need to just talk about this central couple and then we'll move on we promise yes 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 how do I put this one of the things you battle when you're leaving the church is the stereotypes of of ex-mormons that uh that practicing mormons hold mm-hmm. and <clears throat> you are anxious about not being stereotyped yeah so this sense that like oh people leave the church because they're offended or because they're they never understood it anyway or Mm -hmm. you know all these things that mormons set up so that they can just like make you into straw man and dismiss you like Mm -hmm. your concerns aren't a big deal to me yeah they're not valid because you are xyz Mm -hmm. and i just kind of felt like this documentary really focused on a couple who practicing Mormons can easily dismiss mm-hmm. like in the first episode when they're introducing their story and they're like pretty freshly in the grand scheme of things out of their previous marriages with their husbands you know and mm-hmm. their husband their ex-husbands are featured in the show and I think that a lot of Mormon people would see that and be like wow they're awful like they broke those guys hearts mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm tore their families apart yeah this is heartless yeah yeah behavior and obviously i think you should leave your husband if you're not sexually attracted to him (laughs) yeah yes um also you know if you go to if you dig into lena and sally the central couple at all let me just read their bios from their website yes please do is that okay yeah lena this is their own words uh, you know no hate Lena is a moon cycle alchemist, in parentheses, period coach, Mm. holistic nutritionist, essential oil guru, energy healer, and a kundalini yoga teacher. Cool. Cool. Right on. Uh, Right on. It's just, it's feeling like that stereotype that if you leave Mormonism, you're going to be searching far and wide for Mm -hmm. something to fill in. And you're gonna be grasping at everything you can think of to take the place of this faith you've left behind. Yeah. And it's all almost like a rebellious, Yes, you know, like all these things that are so, you know, like either taboo or whatever. While you're in the church, you you get out and you, yeah. This is what a practicing Mormon is going to think when they see this is like, oh, wow, she's grasping at anything to replace Mormonism. Look at how untethered this person is without Mormonism. Um, Next, Sally is an adventure junkie podcast host and a coming out coach, helping people peacefully navigate coming out of religion or coming out of the closet. So we're dealing with another stereotype here, which is like the Mormon who leaves Mormonism and then can't leave it alone. People Mm -hmm. like to say, and like, is like, let me guide you out. Let me for some undisclosed amount of money, which we couldn't find anywhere on the website, (laughs) coach you out of Mormonism. Yeah. 
no hate no make a living god yeah. bless yeah i'm just saying <laughs> yeah when i watch something like this what i want is for like my mom to be able to watch it and yeah. to find no um like thread that she can hold on to and unravel right and to be fair that is unfair oh yes we are setting like completely unfair expectations for these people this series but i just wanted it to be uh airtight i know and i think you know what we're looking for is just a different show you know um (laughs) period. I, I, I thought it was a great story. I'm happy for them. Yes. So anyway, we're just quibbling because yeah. we care about these kinds of, uh, pop culture artifacts. We want them to really land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think as ex Mormons with parents who are in and loved ones who are in, you, you just live with that, like desperate hope that something's yeah. going to come out that you're going to be able to like maybe hopefully pass along and yeah that's gonna... is this the thing i could send them and they could watch it and really interrogate yeah their beliefs and there are moments in here where i think yes and mm-hmm. i i just wanted the whole thing to really get there yeah so unfair to sally and lena i know that's no just how we feel hate. no you guys we are not hating on these people <laughs> no we are not don't Take a sound bite. Yes. And <laughs> don't you dare. Don't you dare. Um, okay. So with that out of the way, let's dig into some questions and just rabbit holes that we found ourselves digging into as we watched. Let's do that. One of the first things, so we had both just watched like the first episode in the docuseries and we checked in with each other and you raised this question that I found really interesting because we had such different reactions to it. Hmm. You, you asked me, how can you be in your thirties in a hetero marriage and not know that you're gay? Mm -hmm. So referring to Sally and Lena, that was just kind of mind blowing for you. Yeah. You were like, how do you get that far into your life, into your marriage, into having kids and truly as they claim, have no idea that you're actually gay. I know as a, a woman who grew up in the church and who uh, struggled to come to terms with her sexuality, starting at a really young age, I just kind of can't, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine. Yes. I can rationalize it like the way that they explain it. You know, they just really never let themselves see outside of what the expectation for them was. Mm -hmm. Whereas I never had that ability. I was just like, how do you never? Cause it just plagued me growing up. I mean, I remember being like seven years old, eight years old and so worried about it Yeah, because they, they, you know, depending on who your Sunday school teacher is, they're talking about it at church. Mm -hmm. You know, you start hearing from a really young age about how it's so sinful and gay people are so selfish and mm-hmm. you're like, well, I'm attracted to women, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like what, you know? Yeah. And when you raised that question and shared that, I was like, that's okay. interesting because I can completely understand how you could get into your thirties and not know your own sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. 
And I think um, the more I've thought about it, the more I've wondered if my ability to understand this because of my experience highlights one of the reasons I was able to stay in as long as I did and you had to get out as early Mm -hmm. as you did. Mm -hmm. I really did have the capacity um, from a young age to click off some thoughts in my brain to just be like, you can't think about that. You can't wonder about that. You can't worry about that. You can't look closely at that. You got to turn it off. Mm. I never was thinking about my sexuality, gay or straight or anywhere in between growing up, even into my twenties. It was just Mm. something I was never even allowing myself to look at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And relate less. And if I had like they did gotten married in that time period, where I just never even let myself think about it. I can totally imagine myself um, just not knowing. Yeah. Just not knowing. Um, One thing it made me think about too is when you're on a Mormon mission, the night before you go home. So it's the end of your mission. The night before you leave, all missionaries stay at the mission president's house. At least this is how they do this in the U.S. Stay at the mission president's house you have individual interviews with him where he gives you advice. And then you have like group meetings where he gives you more advice. The strongest advice that was given in individual and group settings was get married as soon as possible. We were 21, 22, 23 year olds. And it was like, go home and get married as fast as you can. And the rationale was, you, there are these like ordinances you need to engage in as a member of the church in order to achieve exaltation. And the last of those ordinances is celestial marriage in the temple. And mm-hmm. so you needed to do it ASAP. Otherwise you'd be like tempted away. Like the devil would mm-hmm. be working hard to pull you away. Yeah. And so there was this like fear that if you didn't do it soon enough, you'd get pulled away. But also this like sort of cultural fear that if you didn't do it soon enough, the pickings would be slim. Yeah. You'd be an outcast, mm-hmm. which is all true in Mormon culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. So folks were going home and getting married so fast, so young without a minute to breathe, a minute to recover from the traumatic mission they'd just been on, a minute to think about their sexuality. Of course, people get caught up and they haven't had time to like really know themselves. Yeah. You and know, once that's you're actually... in that once you're married and you're having kids, you know, it takes a lot to pause and step back and say, who am I really? And do I really even want this? Brock Aiken in his interview on their podcast, the peace out podcast, which I would recommend listening to. It was a really good episode. Um, he said something about how I think he had a bishop at one point who he, I think he shared his struggles with, um, you know, he was going through conversion therapies, uh, trying to grapple with same sex attraction. And, and, uh, this, this bishop or this person's advice to him was to try to get married and have kids right away. Because once you have kids that will like bond you with your spouse and, um, you know, I guess theoretically they won't leave you, you know, (laughs) you won't leave them because you have kids. Terrible. That's horrible. And like, you think about all the harm that's done to individuals and families when that advice is taken 
before someone really has a chance to know themselves and what they really want. And like, that's one thing we both commented on in this, in the first episode, when you meet Sally and Lena's Mm ex-husbands, you can't help but feel for these men who are, you know, like victims of the church's efforts to repress sexuality just like these women were yeah yeah there's so much material damage done because of advice exactly like what you're describing yep just put your head down don't think about it get married have kids the rest will sort itself out yeah no maybe (laughs) not and also more people will be involved yeah so much respect to lena and sally for being able even in the thick of things to like stop and take stock of themselves and realize they wanted something different and then to make a change I mean that's that's amazing totally Um, but it there's still so much heartbreak in that story yeah and one of the husbands Lena's husband seems to take it in stride and he Mm -hmm. participates in the in the larger like family activities and yeah. whatnot he but was at their sad. wedding he was at their wedding and he looked it, so cute in his little yeah. outfit and he was crying. cheering it made me tear up me I just too. felt for that guy like who's clearly trying so hard to like understand and be supportive and loving mm-hmm. and be a part of his kids lives oh I just can't imagine yeah he seemed to have a really um healthy outlook on it he was like yeah you know obviously I wish that my wife had been straight Mm-hmm. but she's not so anyway yeah. <laughs> so anyway it's not about me let's move on yeah. like there was one point where he said um when I knew her she was a caterpillar and now she's a butterfly oh it was real sweet That's he so just sweet. seemed like such a sweetheart I mean both of the husbands seemed like yeah sweethearts yeah the Sally's husband struggled a lot more and that's I mean I don't know understandable yes yeah. okay so let's get back into it the docuseries is looking at the experiences of LGBTQ Mormons. And um, that led me in down a rabbit hole. I ended up finding this Wikipedia page that's a timeline of LGBT Mormon history. And I have to tell you, it is thorough. Yeah. Someone has done the work. Yes. It's broken up into decades and just periods of Mormon history. It's compiling um, over a century's worth of Mormon leaders saying hostile and horrifying things to and about LGBTQ folks, uh, individual Mormons engaging in anti-gay violence, news of that, uh, the church donating tons of money to support anti-gay legislation over the years, and submitting amicus briefs for anti-gay laws in support of anti-gay laws, uh, church's anti-LGBTQ policies, uh, and misinformation and the whims of the leaders mm-hmm. and like the shifts in their rhetoric. All of this is like documented in this timeline. It is yeah. a dark read. Yeah. It is horrifying. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's relevant to get into a little bit of it because again, like this docu-series, 
I want to think about the ways that a practicing Mormon might encounter it and how they might try to make sense of the stories they're hearing from these LGBTQ Mormons and like justify their continued participation in the church in spite of these stories they're hearing. Mm-hmm. And I just, as I was reading through this timeline and thinking about the stories in this docuseries, there's no justification that you no. can make as a practicing Mormon for supporting the church that doesn't make you complicit in anti-LGBTQ rhetoric policies agenda. 100%. Mm-hmm. It is a well documented history of consistent hostility towards uh lgbtq folks yeah hostility and violence yes undeniable yeah so i wanted to go through like a few kind of movements i noticed coming up in this timeline um i just wanted to focus real quick on early mormon leaders uh like over the pulpit in general conference, what are they saying about gay people? Mm. And there's this horrific talk from October 1897, George Q. Cannon. He describes homosexuality as abominable and filthy. He says, the only way to stop these dreadful practices is by the destruction of those who practice them and for the Lord to wipe them out. Mm. And he says, if a little nest of them were left, they would soon corrupt others. Wow. So yikes. Great guy horrifying violent extreme yes um so that's the messaging in the early church Mm -hmm. uh we move into the 1900s and get more of that kind of messaging but there uh is this movement i noticed in the 40s that i thought was really interesting Mm -hmm. so we have 1948 two gay byu students meet with the prophet george albert smith um and talk to him about how they're in love Mm -hmm. what should they do yeah and apparently he told them uh to live their lives as best they could in their companionship Hmm. isn't that nice feels uh very different (laughs) yeah and you know what that makes me think of and it makes me so angry it's like george albert smith probably just like so at some point in his life had some sort of like interactions with gay people or with like homosexuality himself to a point where it made him just like sympathetic and just more understanding like he was made to understand by some experience in his life and he just like kind of carried that with him Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's like men especially men just get this like I don't know there's just all this like Mm anti-gay rhetoric you know fed to especially internalized yeah and it makes them feel so violent and like so aggressive threatened and fearful and angry yeah right and And it takes this one person who for whatever reason has a more compassionate stance and suddenly the whole sort of approach in the church for a couple of years shifts Mm -hmm. I mean, in Mormonism, you're taught that the prophet is guided by God, right? And that God is this sort of unchangeable force. Mm -hmm. And we'll see later in in this timeline how that's what the brethren say, like homosexuality will never be acceptable to God. So then why was it in 1948? Why was George Albert Smith like cool with it? Mm -hmm. To me, this just shows that the church is driven by the whims of the people in charge at the time. rather than by anything more concrete or real than that and that is so infuriating yeah 
I know when it's something as important as this mm-hmm. and it's continues to be treated like this. Yeah. It's just sort of up to whoever you talk to, you'll mm-hmm. kind of get different messaging and you know, yeah. And the church's stance is just so like, okay. Yeah. You know, well, we and love we'll them. See- They're great. Yeah. But we don't condone. But they're unacceptable. Yeah. They're unacceptable. No. And we'll see more of that throughout this timeline. Uh, Another thing in the 40s, other BYU students talked about there being this like thriving gay community of students at BYU. There was not this push to get them out of there Mm -hmm. like there would be later. Yeah. So that's the 40s. In 1958, a sort of important thing happens. Uh, Bruce R. McConkie publishes the book Mormon Doctrine. I know we had a copy of this book in our house growing up. It was mm-hmm. sort of like an encyclopedia of Mormon terms. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to understand something, this is a place you went. It was, uh, I don't think ever canonized by the church, but it was treated like scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, In Mormon Doctrine, he says about homosexuality, it is among Lucifer's chief means of leading souls to hell. In a section on chastity, he says it's better to be dead clean than alive unclean. And he says that Mormon parents would rather their child, quote, come back in a pine box with their virtue than return alive without it. Terrible. Yikes. Again, it makes me think about like um, these stories in Mormon No More, like Brock Aiken's story um, mm-hmm. or the story of Matt Easton, the valedictorian at BYU and Harry Fisher, the student he knew who had committed suicide. Yeah. These, the, this sense that like you're better dead than alive if you are gay mm-hmm. is not a thing that those folks are just pulling out of nowhere. It's a thing no. deeply embedded in Mormon doctrine. Mm-hmm. it's literally in the book titled mormon doctrine yeah the very next year byu starts their electroshock therapy program mm-hmm. um so you can see again the whims of these men their own deep homophobia <laughs> drives the policies of the church mm-hmm. um yeah. and and the electroshock program at byu lasted for decades it was going on in the mid nineties. It's so horrifying. So horrifying. Mm. Um, so that was the late fifties in the 1960s. Ernest Wilkinson was the president of the church and he was incredibly homophobic. The main student center at BYU to this day is the Wilkins is called the Wilkinson center. Mm-hmm. So like these people who were so like violent and horrible to lgbtq students and members of the church are are revered there's no sort of acknowledgement like this was a problematic person who did violence to a community and so we're not going to name a building after him we're not going to name the main student hub after this person there's just no awareness yeah because i think uh, for a lot of people though openly they wouldn't agree with um, exactly what he said you know they they agree with the spirit of it yeah and they're not taking a stand against it no um so his big initiative in the 1960s was that BYU would not even admit gay students regardless of mm-hmm. their action if you um 
experience same-sex attraction as the church likes to put it you would not be admitted and he said that in an address to students in 1965 he said nor do we intend to admit to this campus any homosexuals if any of you have this tendency may i suggest you leave the university immediately we do not want others on this campus to be contaminated by your presence Hmm. can you imagine being a gay student in that meeting and hearing that i i don't know no, I don't know how they, I don't know how those people, how anybody survived. Yes. That. So that was 1965. In 1969, Spencer W. Kimball published the book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, another book we also had in our house. Yeah. Um, a book I was assigned to read in a BYU religion class in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, in this book, he s- talks about how homosexuality is, of course, curable, like, no question it is mm-hmm. it is not a thing you're born with it is a sin and you can overcome it he says you can overcome it fast people overcome mm-hmm. it in a matter of months okay um he also said if you don't overcome it it can lead you to having sex with animals oh my gosh okay so that is another idea i've heard in the church very recently i've had friends who when they've come out to their parents their parents have been like oh are you also what bestiality they're all connected by these this messaging from the church for decades i remember being at efy mormon summer camp and um i remember some horrible man was speaking to us and he was talking about how um, gay marriage was just an absolute abomination and we should fight against it with all our might. Mm-hmm. And he said, at any gay pride parade, you have the gay people marching, but right behind them, you have the pedophiles mm. and the uh, people who engage in bestiality and incest. They're right there. They're all linked. I remember even as a kid being like, what? <laughs> That's so stupid. Wait, what is this man saying to us? That's exactly the kind of talk that I heard as a young person in the church that made me feel like, oh, I got to get out of here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. From a very young age. I, mm-hmm. I, I really remember that being the first thing that caused cracks in my foundation. I remember just being like, I know you're wrong. Yeah. I just know that what you're saying is so terrible and wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on then to the 70s. In 1978, Boyd K. Packer gave a terrible sermon um, that was published as a pamphlet called To the One. And this was a pamphlet we were given on our missions to give to Mm -hmm. people, again, Mm -hmm. in the 2000s. And in this pamphlet, he talks about being gay as a perversion. It's rooted in selfishness. Mm-hmm. It can be yeah. cured through unselfishness. That's exactly how it was taught to me. Yeah. Because I remember being like selfish. Right. Selfish? I don't even understand. Yeah. I, I can't even begin to unpack that. Um, but it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. And you can just see through our experience growing up how that messaging was mm. pervasive. Mm-hmm. This idea that if you were gay, you were selfish because you didn't, you weren't willing to put the opportunity to like have a family or something within the structures of the church above your own sexual desire. 
Uh, he talked about how the church hasn't said a lot about homosexuality in the past because, quote, some matters are best handled very privately, and we can very foolishly cause things we are trying to prevent by talking too much about them. So there we get the roots of all kinds of problematic thinking about, like, makes me think of, like, the don't say gay laws that are coming mm-hmm. up now. Like, if you talk to kids about sexuality, it'll make them gay. Absurd. Just bonkers nonsense baloney yeah um how did all these stupid stupid (laughs) stupid people get into these positions of power i don't even know what to say yeah i mean so much of my years in the church i felt like i was the only one listening like i would hear Mm. people say things and i'd be like what (laughs) and i just look around like how come nobody is freaking out right now that person Mm -hmm. said something horrible Mm-hmm. And it was like nothing had happened. I just felt that way all the time. Yeah. And if we were to ever hear about it at home, like let's say it was something so crazy, the only way it would come up would be like our dad being like kind of grumpy after church mm-hmm. and like. Or it was dismissed as like an idiosyncrasy of an individual. Yeah, like, well, yeah. oh, sister so and so says a lot of weird stuff, or brother so and so, yeah, he's crazy. But what about the system that made them? Mm hmm. Yeah. What about the system that enables them? What about the system that puts them up in front of a bunch of kids every Sunday to teach us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nobody <laughs> says think- anything. Oh, it's just, it's just right. them. If you think they're crazy and dangerous, don't let them be my seminary teacher. <laughs> okay. Let's move through a couple of other things in this timeline real quick. Um, just more m- misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, in the nineties, Boyd K. Packer, once again, with another hit, He said in general conference, humans can degrade themselves below animals by pairing with people of the same sex since animals don't mate with other animals of the same sex. Just absolutely not true at all. Not true. Mm -hmm. Like it's been observed in in many species of animal. It's just not true. So like weird misinformation, not even rooted in fact. And like, Mm -hmm. why are you making this comparison? It's so degrading, but also just wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1995, the Proclamation on the Family is published. Um, this is, uh, I do think, has been canonized. And yeah. this is the church's position on the family, gender, etc. Mm-hmm. And um, it says marriage is between a man and a woman. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's essential. And it also says that gender is an essential characteristic of individual, premortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose, which is language that Mormons use to argue against trans rights. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Um, very nice. Congrats, guys. Way to knock it out of the park with that one. Okay, uh, we're moving into the, to the 2000s, which you would hope would <laughs> get better, but the messaging just shifts. Still mm-hmm. in problematic ways, just different problematic ways. Yeah. So in 2006, Jeffrey R. Holland and Marlon K. Jensen were interviewed for a PBS documentary called The Mormons, hmm. which would maybe be interesting to watch. For yeah. The podcast. I'm down. Um, and in it, they're asked about the church's stance on homosexuality. Marlon K. Jensen said the church could never um, change its position. There's no room within the plan of salvation for homosexuality to be accepted. And then Elder Holland agrees and says, gay or lesbian inclinations will not exist post-mortality. So this is a shift that happens. They go from it's curable, 
uh, well, it's the worst thing ever and you need to be rooted out and killed to it's curable mm-hmm. to, uh, and you weren't born with it. You know, it's a sin. It's curable. You can overcome it mm-hmm. to, okay, maybe you were born with it and maybe mm-hmm. it's a thing you're going to experience your whole life, but when you die, it'll be gone. Mm. And so there's this promise of like, if you can just hold on for mortality and either like never have a romantic relationship or have like a mixed orientation relationship that you just kind of white knuckle your way through for your entire life, then when you die, you will no longer have these feelings or desires. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's so sad to me because I feel like in a lot of ways, your average everyday Mormon is doing just that, just mm-hmm. white knuckling through life through all kinds to get of to this promise of, you know, living in God's glory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is sad on its own, but to think that you would, you know, deprive yourself of like one of the ultimate happinesses in life. Yeah. Just for some, just some for hope of a future life that may or may not be real yeah it is just so clearly like messaging Mm -hmm. just like how do we spin this so we don't lose every mormon who's ever gay yeah but also so we can keep this hard line where there's no room in the plan of salvation for you another thing that um, leaders start to say in the 2000s is that being gay is like being born with a disability (laughs) so yeah you can be born gay just like you can be born with a disability and when you die, you will no longer have that disability. Um, in 2008, we have the church uh, lobbying hard for propositioning in California. They do this like um, satellite broadcast where they ask members to donate like every Saturday until the election to mm. um, campaigning in the streets. I mean, major. And the mm. amount of money they spend on that has been well documented. Um, In 2015, another horrific policy comes out. It was leaked, actually, this letter announcing the policy. And the policy banned a child of a parent living in a same-gender relationship from being blessed or baptized or confirmed a member of the church um, until the child was no longer living with their gay parents, was of legal age, and disavowed the practice of... um, same gender cohabitation in marriage so if you were raised by a gay couple you had to grow up move out of the house and disavow your parents marriage Mm -hmm. in order to participate in mormonism i don't don't know (laughs) i don't know i don't know how anybody stayed in the church at that point right i remember when that letter was leaked i i saw it on like twitter and i remember it seemed so outlandish Mm -hmm. that I was like this has to be like a scam you know this is some kind of weird social media thing like this can't be real Mm because it's just so over the top they also in the policy said that um same-sex marriage is a type of apostasy and folks who engaged in it should have disciplinary councils and be like excommunicated. So they wow. were taking this really intense stance against gay couples, but also their children. Hmm. And I remember um, like having that brief moment of being like, this has got to be a scam. It's so over the top. And then realizing it wasn't. Yeah. And mom called me 
in tears and was just like, I'm really upset about this. This is really horrific. Um, she, she asked me about friends of mine who were gay and Mormon and how they were doing. She's like, I've been thinking about so-and-so and so-and-so and how they must feel mm-hmm. and just so upset. And she's like, the thing I'm most upset about is I'm worried that this is going to lead you to lose your faith. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I didn't know she said that. Yeah. Well, it certainly didn't help. And I mean, I already was had didn't have it at that mm-hmm. point but just that that was the thing she was most worried about mm-hmm. when shouldn't it lead me to lose my faith i mean yeah. this is really terrible shouldn't mm-hmm. it lead all of us to lose our faith because what do we have faith in at that point like these are not good people no no this is um straight up evil yeah Yeah. There was also, not to get too into the weeds with this, the next day after uh, the policy came out, they, the church released a video with uh, D. Todd Christofferson, a a general authority whose brother is very like famously out Hmm. and also a sort of Mormon apologist. So they had, they very carefully chose who would deliver this message, which I found icky yeah i remember too he was sitting in this like really gilded room which i also found icky Mm -hmm. and he talked about how this policy was all about love Mm. it was just all very disgusting a couple of months later it also led to mass exit from the church people uh yeah resigning their membership left and right um a couple of months later uh, Russell M. Nelson gives a talk and he says that this policy was revealed to President Monson, the prophet at the time, in a sacred moment when the Lord inspired him to declare the will of the Lord. Which is interesting because in April 2019, the policy was abandoned. Yeah. Because yep, it was a that. disaster. Yeah. So if it was revelation, it lasted a few years really mm-hmm. like what mm-hmm. do we make of that how do you explain that i really or- am i can't wrap my mind around there are some things that just like make me so angry mm-hmm. um angry at the people that we know who are still in mm-hmm. and this is one of those things where i it like makes me speechless like i yeah. just can't believe that you could just sit yeah with that and I know, I know practicing progressive Mormons who saw that policy walk back as this sign of progress, like, see, they recognize the errors of their ways, but it, what it is, is a, it reveals the fundamental lie of Mormonism, which is that its leaders are led by an unchangeable God who like sees, you know, the end from the beginning when like, no, no, that's not what happened. A, a group of homophobic men created a policy it was a pr disaster mm-hmm. and the church was bleeding members and they mm-hmm. went oh i think we went too far with this pull it back walk it back yeah i know i remember thinking at the time like just wondering what the what the deal was like are they intentionally coming out with these revelation like as a way to test members or something right. are they trying to weed people out you know i'm sure to, that's like, a thing some people thought. the base mm-hmm. yeah 
I'm sure that's something that people use to explain it to themselves. And mm-hmm. like, oh, look, I outlasted that test. Yeah. It's just a bunch of mind games. It's wild. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I wanted to bring up from the timeline actually comes up in this docuseries. And it's Matt Easton's story about being valedictorian at BYU. And he he says that he submitted his talk for approval to BYU administration and it was approved. So he comes out during his valedictorian speech. BYU administration knows he's going to do it, say, do it, great, we support you. There's like a lot of people celebrating that moment as this like great stride in LGBTQ visibility in the church. Mm-hmm. But then in 2021, Elder Holland gives a talk to BYU faculty and mm-hmm. administrators. Mm-hmm. And he alludes to Matt Easton's valedictorian mm-hmm. speech. And he describes Matt Easton's speech as commandeering the podium to come out and frames this as like a divisive, selfish act. So there's just so much flip-flopping yeah. and like um, misinformation and like problematic messaging and outright hostility and violence. Mm-hmm. And that is the legacy of Mormonism. Yeah. And I know that was a really deep rabbit hole to take us down, but I do think it's relevant to this doggy series. And it was like really helpful to me to dig mm-hmm. into the trends over time. Yeah. Because, like I said, it just really reveals um, that the foundation is rotten. Yeah. It's been interesting in this whole process of uh, starting this podcast, like learning so much in such a short amount of time. Like I remember when we first started under the banner banner of heaven and we were like blood atonement, you know, Mm -hmm. what's blood atonement, learning about blood atonement and now making connections between blood atonement and uh, treatment of LGBTQ people in the church and Mm -hmm. reading this timeline and seeing how gay people have been blood atoned and, um, it's just been horrifyingly eye-opening. Right. Because under the banner of heaven is supposedly this like anti-Mormon sort of fringe mm-hmm. artifact of pop culture. But then you see elements of it, yeah, showing up in mm-hmm. the sort of historical timeline of the church. And I will say, yeah, this this um, Wikipedia work that's been done the citations are uh immaculate Mm -hmm. and they're citing mormon historians left and right yeah and and well documented Mm -hmm. conference talks and and they keep uh, it really it's really tight there yeah if you find that sort of thing interesting would highly recommend to read through though it is incredibly upsetting it's a bummer yeah (laughs) for sure I liked reading about all the different people in the way back in days who were like gay Mormons who left Utah to go live in like New York City and to become like poets and actors and drag queens. I know. I want to know more about them. That's a documentary I want to see. A hundred percent. Yeah. Show me that documentary. Yes. Hulu. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What I enjoyed most about the documentary was definitely um, Brock Aiken's story and, you know, his story about conversion therapy and going through Dave Matheson's program. Mm. And that 
I, I want them to do. I wish that they had just given him a whole season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, like I said, Rock Aiken's uh, podcast episode on Peace Out with Sally and Lena was really good and would highly recommend listening to that. And I just like related to him so much and just felt so sympathetic to him. I can't help but feel like, you know, just so sad for all the little kids Mm. going through questioning their sexuality and it's just agonizing over it should not have to agonize over yeah it's so so sad he talked about how before he and i relate to this so much he talked about before he turned eight how he was like i have to get this under control before i get baptized a seven-year-old that is so heartbreaking yeah but I can relate to that so much. I remember having the same thoughts as a seven-year-old. I remember being so scared of getting baptized because hmm. I knew that I couldn't stop sinning. I knew that I was just a bad kid and that I was just going to be in a, in a world of trouble. Which is so nuts to me. Like as your sister who <laughs> knew you well as a seven-year-old, you were just like such a little sweetheart, such an innocent, mm-hmm. funny, sassy little kid. Mm-hmm. You weren't and doing I was, anything wrong. Yeah, I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I sure thought I was. I thought I was Ugh. just, just the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, that for better or worse was the beginning of my, my quick path out. I was mm-hmm. like, I got to got to get out of this it led to some very hard times as a young person dealing with like rebellion and mm-hmm. you know just normal teenager stuff at the end of the day normal teenager stuff but through the lens of mormonism it was pretty a little bit hardcore yeah but yeah i just i just feel it so deeply i just so want to reach out to that little kid and be like it's it's okay you're not doing yeah. anything wrong you know yeah um but yeah um i thought it was incredible when brock uh, sat down with dave matheson Mm -hmm. who was the creator of this certain kind of conversion therapy so for anyone who maybe hasn't watched this yet dave matheson is a mormon guy who claimed to have been gay and overcome it Mm-hmm. and he was a therapist and he developed therapies and like wilderness weekends for mm-hmm. gay mormons to overcome their gayness right yep and brock attended mm-hmm. therapy for years it sounds like and yeah. these wilderness weekends yeah and they sound incredibly troubling and horrible yeah. and mm-hmm. to just be told that like you are are a problem that needs fixing right and to be fed the lie that you can be fixed Mm -hmm. you know by these people who are just like you it's such a betrayal and then the twist with dave matheson is he in the last few years it sounds like left his wife Mm -hmm. was like no i'm gay yeah (laughs) and is doing all these interviews where he's talking about that and we had a conversation about that. Like, yes, Dave Matheson is a victim of Mormonism, mm-hmm. but he also 
yeah. preyed on young gay Mormon boys through these therapies for for decades. Yeah, I know. And do we? And how do you get past that? I don't know. Like I can sympathize with being, you know, confused and being repressed, but like you're an abusive dude. Yeah. You know? And like some of the stuff that they were doing was like borderline sexual, you know, mm-hmm. the physical touch, like men just need physical touch right. in order to or- overcome. And, and honestly, them- I've heard stories about these weekends from mm-hmm. other friends of mine mm-hmm. that sound way worse yeah than what brock talks about in the documentary mm-hmm. like i've heard it gets way worse hmm. so yeah problematic dude and i loved brock confronting him but i also felt like dave matheson he was really making me mad in that scene. me too i wanted to punch <laughs> him in the face i wanted to be like brock get out of here and i just punch him right in the face what did he keep saying he was like i'm so sad this happened to you yeah he was like real sad you know just real sad about it and it's like okay not and i'm like, sorry whatever. i did this to you i know i know like he said that maybe once but he kept saying like i'm so sorry this happened to you or i'm so sad you had to go through that no he didn't have to go through that yeah you <laughs> did that you put him through that yeah Ooh, i know making poster boards with like magazine cutouts of women's body parts and talking about like what they didn't like and like what what they were scared they were scared of also really disgusting and objectifying of women like that's not i good for anybody no yikes yeah i found Brock's story to be really like troubling but also really beautiful Mm -hmm. like when he talked about um you know one of his many prayers to like overcome being gay and how he had the thought what if it's just okay to be you Mm. yeah and that was kind of his moment of letting go Mm -hmm. it does make me sad that he's still in Mm-hmm. is you he know? still in mm-hmm. i wasn't sure from the i think he's not sure but the way that he worded it in the documentary is that he is he would still consider himself in mm-hmm. and he posted something on social media about how he doesn't like the name of the show or mm-hmm. you know i didn't have any say in the name of the show because i don't think he is out and you got to respect where everybody's at but it is like once you're out and you realize that so much of what you were told about leaving was to like make you afraid to leave mm-hmm. yeah and, and that it's not real yeah no I just read a tweet last night it wasn't a new tweet but I like came upon it again for some reason but it it was someone who'd left the church and they said that they thought it would feel like falling off a cliff but it actually felt like floating mm. yeah it's like a it's release. So, you feel lighter. It makes you feel so much lighter. It's such a comfort. Mm-hmm. You like, I feel like you get to know yourself like for real. Mm-hmm. And you, I feel like before I left, I didn't have like a lot of real relationships. Like I started mm-hmm. seeing other people differently, like people's like 
people like had like inherent worth that maybe like I don't know I I I just like it was like all-encompassing I changed pretty much a hundred percent when I just let it go yeah changed like a hundred percent and also I'm exactly the same person yeah I know and then you and then you sit down in front of people who are in Mm-hmm. and you're like I'm still this to you you're still mm-hmm. this to me yeah you know that's one thing I wanted to talk about just maybe to wrap up is um in the final episode we learned that Sally's mom has left the church yeah and her journey was really interesting to me we mm-hmm. see her in earlier episodes be like look I'm never gonna leave yeah this faith is like who I am Mm-hmm. And by the last episode, she's like, I'm on my way out. I'm going to wear my sleeveless dress yeah, and, and, you know, support my children and mm-hmm. my relationships with them are more important. And at some point she and Sally have a conversation where her mom says, when you told me you were leaving the church, I felt like you were like a, abandoning our relationship mm-hmm. or giving up on our relationship because the two were so intertwined. And when she said that, I thought, I don't know if our mom would ever articulate that exact thought, but I bet she could relate to that. Oh, it's a hundred percent true. This feeling of sort of being abandoned or like betrayed or left behind by your kids mm-hmm. um, when they leave the church. And mm-hmm. I just really appreciated that Sally's mom, though she had that feeling, she was able to move beyond it and recognize like no my relationship with my children doesn't have to be over or ruined or lost it can still be great and maybe even better yeah I know what a concept when we're all living authentically our relationships can be better yeah yeah I know that made me so happy I was inspired by Sally's mom yeah she was awesome when she put on that dress Mm mm-hmm sleeveless dress she's like i can't wear my garments with this i was like you go yeah nan (laughs) you go nan way to go nan yeah um yeah all in all a great docuseries highly recommend yeah totally we talked a little crap in the beginning but don't hold it against but that's not what it was elisa no we weren't talking crap we were were explaining how someone might yes so well yeah. said thanks well thanks for joining us everybody please bless this podcast please thank you amen amen amen